One of the things I'm not going to miss, Pinks, is having to brush my teeth using bottled water, both in Mexico and here in Brazil. Oh, violins. <laughs> Give me a break. You've just witnessed one of the greatest Formula One weekends in the history of the sport. Yeah. Well, if you're a Mercedes fan, that is. I have got serious FOMO, and all you're talking about is with drinking bottled water. <laughs> Give me a break. Hamilton pulls ahead of Verstappen before they get to the corner. The crowd go absolutely wild. It is third time lucky for Lewis Hamilton. He was 20th and last on the grid for the sprint here on lap 59 of the Grand Prix. He has gone from last all the way to first. He's 101st. Grand Prix victory, more than the whole of the nation of Brazil put together. When you think of the tally that some of these great drivers have racked up, so a collective effort by Senna, PK, Fittipaldi, Massa, Barrichello and Pache. He has just matched that with his first win in four races and in such style. That was exceptional. I can't think of a better one of his 101 wins. You know, there have been some great ones, you know, Hamilton winning at Silverstone in 2008 in the wet. But what I think separated this win from everything that's come before Pink's was his performance over the whole weekend. From the moment he first sat in that car, he was on fire. Unbelievable. And his, he said he had a 25 place penalty. If you combine his engine penalty and what the stewards gave him um, after, after disqualifying him from qualifying and... There was an anger about him as well, I felt, in that car. I think I prefer the term pressure because I think that's when you get the best out of him. I don't think anyone drives well angry as such, but he was able to channel his inner Senna, which was poignant given that it was 30 years on from his hero's first home win at Brazil. It was fairy tale stuff. It really was. And brilliantly for us fans, it keeps the championship very much alive. And my goodness, did the fans love it, Pinks. You know that there were 170,000 people at Interlagos over the weekend. Uh, a bigger crowd than they've had for many years. They built an extra grandstand uh, since 2019. The race sold out in six hours when it went on sale um, earlier in the year. So the whole thing has been an incredible ride over here. Drinking water or not, I'm very privileged to have been here. I know that. Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with Tom Clarkson and Natalie Pinkham. Hamilton, against the odds, has come home to win the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. What a victory for Lewis Hamilton. He's not ready to loosen his grip on that championship trophy. Yes, come on, guys. Nicely done, Max. Nicely done. P2, mate. Solid point. Yeah, I tried, uh, yeah, I tried everything I could, but we were just uh, <laughs> not quick enough. From the moment I touched down in Brazil on Wednesday morning, it has been completely bonkers here. Um, I landed at 8 a.m. Uh, in Sao Paulo. Uh, I went to the hotel, had a quick shower, and then went straight to the track, arrived at lunchtime. And of course, the first thing that happened, before we get onto any of the on-track antics was that none of the freight was here. <laughs> it was like walking into a ghost town. And on back-to-back -back race weekends, normally it's a hive of activity on the Wednesday in between. The teams are frantically preparing everything, yet there was no one at the track. All of the mechanics had been told to stay at their hotels because the freight had been 
delayed leaving Mexico City. Uh, it was like the perfect storm, a lack of aeroplanes. There was fog at one point. Then one of the, uh, the cargo planes went technical as well. And so they ended up diverting through Miami. And of course, everything was lastminute.com from that moment onwards. Um, the freight then arrived in drips and drabs. And I think Ferrari and McLaren were the f were the last teams to, to get their cars at two o'clock on Thursday afternoon, which is 48 hours later than normal. So everyone on the back foot at that point, everyone thinking, my goodness, this is completely mad. But we didn't know what was to come, did we? It's It's been a hell of a season and, and I'm sure taking its toll on everyone. But the shot in the arm, the boost that we all need is the fact that the championship is poised. And I gather, if we've done our maths right, that if Lewis and Max get one, two at the next two races, they will go into the final race in Abu Dhabi on 368.5 points each. <laughs> wow, this <laughs> will one, be amazing. A one race shootout, can you imagine? And I go back to what I've said before. It's just a bit of a shame that either of them has to lose this. They're both worthy winners, but you have to say Lewis's performance this weekend was that of a true champion. It was just exceptional to be under that much pressure, that much adversity, really feel that you're swimming against the tide. Just a brilliant example to anyone that is thinking of giving up never to do so. Yeah, and that's what Lewis said afterwards, didn't he? But I feel this is a new experience for Mercedes. Yes, They've won the last seven championships and Ferrari were knocking on the door a little bit for a couple of those years. But really, this is the first time they've been in a titanic battle uh, with another team. And the tension ramped up massively this weekend on both sides of the fence, both at Red Bull and Mercedes. But with everything that was being thrown at Mercedes and Toto Wolff said, you know, we've had many punches in the face this weekend. The way they all stuck together as a group. And when I said there was an anger to Lewis Hamilton, I, I, I sort of mean that that permeated through the whole team. Just just look at Toto Wolff when Lewis made that overtake on Max Verstappen for the lead. He pointed at a camera and was sort of shouting as sort of the just the emotion pouring out of Toto. And of course, that permeates through everybody. Uh, mm. was like I'd never seen before. This matters. This has got personal. It really matters to every single member in that team, led by Toto and Lewis. And a consequence of all of that emotion is that element of paranoia, cynicism and skullduggery. And so there's parts of you thinking, you're second-guessing what your opponent's doing, you're wondering if they're cheating, you wonder whether how far you can push the envelope you know, what becomes unethical and what is reasonable and acceptable in the pursuit of glory. And this is what is so fascinating about sport and the lengths that highly competitive men and women will go to achieve it. Well, when, when all of the um, disqualification came about after qualifying on Friday, I had a number of people come up to me in the paddock and say, it's such a pity this isn't being decided on the racetrack. And I disagreed with them, actually, because this is peak Formula One for me. This is, you know, the Formula One pit lane is it's not always a nice place to be. It is the most competitive environment that 
I've certainly ever been in. People will stop at nothing to win. And that has always been the case in Formula 1. If you just want it to be one on the racetrack, put all of the drivers in identical cars, GP2 cars, and let them go and do it. Formula 1 is much deeper than that. It's a team sport where, as you say, there's paranoia. There's technical paranoia about what your rivals are doing. I love that. It's a... There's just there's so many layers to this battle and it needs to be off track and on it. And when you consider that these are the brightest, best brains pretty much anywhere in the world, isn't it? It's NASA and Formula One. So you're going to get trailblazers. You're going to get people constantly pushing and fighting over milliseconds, millimetres. This is all we were really talking about. This disqualification came down to a millimetre infringement with the DRS. I mean, these are the margins that we're dealing with. These are uh, the bits that they're scrapping over. And actually, you have to say that's what makes it so compelling because it is very difficult to separate these two drivers. Both bring so much talent and so much commitment to the cause. And it just makes it the best sport in the world. Certainly does. TC, there were so many chapters to this great novel in one weekend, every single element of which had an impact on the race itself and then the wider picture of the championship. And the fact that there was a sprint this weekend, I mean, I actually love the addition of these sprint races. It's going to look slightly different next year, but for now, let's take it as it is. And Mercedes felt able to take that penalty for Lewis because of the inclusion of the sprint, because it lessened the impact of the penalty. Although, of course, they didn't know they were going to get disqualified for qualifying for the sprint. It gets complicated, but there are, as you say, so many subplots. And uh, the one thing that is beyond doubt is the performance of this Mercedes. And that is something that I didn't think I would be saying about Brazil. You know, they had a clear performance advantage and it feels as if once again, it's impossible to predict which car is going to perform better at which track. What were the significant differences between Mexico, where Red Bull was so dominant and it was it was such a conclusive victory by Max Verstappen, a, a drop in altitude, still pretty high in Brazil, and then this Power unit advantage yeah, well, for Lewis. You're bang on there. So uh, Interlagos is the second highest track on the calendar, but it's still one and a half kilometres lower than Mexico City last weekend. Um, and the Red Bull produces more downforce in any configuration. Even in low downforce, it's producing more than the Mercedes. In high downforce, it's producing more than the Mercedes. So in thin air at Mexico, it was producing more downforce and therefore was the quicker car. The track temperatures in Mexico were uh, something that uh, slightly played with the order in that on Saturday in Mexico, in the cooler conditions, Mercedes were actually really competitive. And then hot on Sunday, it was the reverse. Mercedes, it, it came to Red Bull. And we actually saw a similar trend with the temperatures here in Brazil. It's been cold all weekend. Mercedes incredibly quick on Saturday in the cold. It was then much warmer on Sunday. And so we all thought that it would play to Red Bull's strengths again because it's much easier on its tyres than the Mercedes. But the Mercedes was strong even in the heat as well. So um, that was a key factor. Lewis's new engine, as you say, is a key factor. Always produces a little bit more grunt, a brand new one compared to one that's got 
however many hundred kilometers under, uh, under its belt. But no one could have predicted just how devastatingly effective Lewis could be in that car. In the, the middle sector of the lap at Interlagos is very twisty, very technical. And following another car, every other driver on the grid was saying that they were suffering from overheating tyres when they're following. Lewis took slightly different lines through that middle sector to keep his car in clearer air, which meant his tyres lasted a bit longer. He was just being very clever. Very, very clever. It was Lewis with his back against the wall. And funny, Pinks, that on the weekend that Valentino Rossi retired from MotoGP, and one of the accusations that's been made against Valentino throughout his career is that he's so good, he quite often fell back in his races just to charge through at the end and win the race dramatically. And when you see a performance like we saw from Lewis Hamilton here in Brazil, you start thinking along those lines. He's been so good this weekend. You think he was just playing with people. Just look at the difference between him and his teammate Valtteri Bottas. So there was definitely a car factor, but there was definitely a Lewis Hamilton factor this weekend as well. Well, someone who can offer us even more insight than our darling Tom Clarkson is Mercedes director of Trackside Engineering, Andrew Shovlin. And Tom caught up with him after the race. Shove, what an amazing race by you guys. The vibe in the team afterwards is, is really positive. But was that the best weekend of Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes career? Um, I'm racking my brains trying to think of a better drive of his and the difficulty with Lewis when you get questions like this is there's there's quite a few of them um, that you can remember but I think to have done that with a with a car that you know doesn't have the pace advantage over the competition that we've had in years gone by um, to have done it really in the face of adversity where you you know you're the fastest guy um, in qualifying but then you put right to the back um, and and to see his strength and determination right now is is really impressive. So um, I'd say at this moment I haven't thought of a better one. Who had the faster car this weekend, yourselves or Red Bull? Uh, I think this weekend came our way. Um, you know the car was the car was working well on a single lap. Um, we had good pace in the cooler conditions in the in the sprint race. Um, we were keeping the tyres in a, in a really good region and part of being able to mount a recovery like that is, is being able to stop the tyres overheating because that tends to just neutralise your advantage and it pulls everyone to the same pace. Um, and then in the, you know, in the race today, it was a, you know, it was a really, really strong performance, but, it, but on a really hot track, we're up at 50 degrees centigrade. Um, it's an aggressive circuit and the car was still working really well. So... To have performed over the various sessions um, in, in such a range of conditions has been really encouraging. You know, when you look at the challenges we're going to get over the next three tracks. How much of a surprise has this pace been? Uh, given that coming into this weekend, both of your drivers were telling us that Red Bull should have the advantage here. As I said, after Mexico, we don't really go into a race thinking this will be a Mercedes track or that'll be a Mercedes, uh, you know, Red Bull track. What we were looking at coming here was we were pretty lacklustre in 2019 with a, with a car that generally was uh, the class of the field. 
So the focus really was on the setup direction. What, you know, did we make any mistakes that year? Uh, what were the issues that we were suffering within the race and how were we going to find the performance? But when you looked at the actual package that we've got, you know, the aero package, the mechanical package, the power units, we weren't finding answers to the question of why were we poor in, in 2019. Um, and the focus was very much on trying to put out a car that, that could compete, that could, um, could get pole position. And as I said, it was encouraging to to see that we were we were able to do it. But on the back of a weak race two years ago, you're always very reticent to say we're going to go somewhere and be strong. Let's talk about some of the setbacks now coming into the race. First up, the engine penalty. Did you have to change it now? Was there a technical reason to change it now? Or was it a case of we're going to need another one? And this is the best racetrack from a sporting point of view. It wasn't a there wasn't a technical reason to change, as in we we didn't think that we we were at risk of, of failing, and we don't think that we're at risk of of failing. Although you know these power units are running awfully hard, and you can never um, never take reliability for granted. But there is an attraction to taking a penalty at the sprint race, because if you can win on the Saturday, that's more points that you can score and you can lessen less than a deficit um, this is also a track that that we hoped would would be one that we could overtake out and that we could recover positions and we we proved that in the last the last two days um, and also you want to get you, you want to get these things in the pool because by the time you get to Abu Dhabi um, you're not going to get the advantage of it for, for more than a single race so there's a number of reasons and it's never black and white because you, you don't know how the weekend's gonna gonna pan out but but on reflection, I think we, we picked a good circuit to do it. <laughs> the evidence would suggest. Um, what about this DRS disqualification after qualifying? In layman's terms, can you just explain what the issue was? The, the issue is specifically that the, the DRS uh, is only allowed to open to 85 millimetres and they power the car up and they, they have a jig um, that measures that uh, displacement and we, we were under the 85 millimetres, but another element of the technical directive, not the regulation, but the technical directive to judge that, applies a load. And it was that load that popped the, um, the go gauge through, um, through the flap. Now, that is a test that is, that is one of the most common tests that is, that is done on the cars. That very assembly uh, had been tested by the FIA and had previously passed. We test these every time they, they go on a car, uh, and it had passed. And what we could see um, was some play in that, in that flap that was, that, was a, that was the cause of the, the failure. It was fine over about 90% of, of the width of the flap, but there was one area where this, this play was allowing it to, to pop through. Um, now, because we then changed that wing... The, the one with the fault has been held with the FIA all weekend, so, so we would expect to get that back um, later tonight when the cars are released. And the, therefore, we, we haven't had the time to do the investigation to, to get to the bottom of it, but what we are confident is that it has developed a problem at some point in its life you know, with, with the wear and tear of them um, running on a car. And, and we're not talking big margins here. It, you know, it, it is about 0.2 of a millimetre, you, you're almost talking a, um, 
you know, one layer of paint would have, would have put the thing legal. Um, but the technical regulations are very often interpreted in, in a black and white situation. Um, and, and it was that interpretation that then led to the uh, unfortunate um, demotion from pole to the uh, back. If the interpretation is black and white, why did it take the stewards of the meeting, what was it, 18 hours to decide? I, th- I mean, one of those elements was it was complicated a little bit by the fact that we weren't the last person to touch the, uh, the very element that, w- that was under suspicion here. It was, it, w- it was Max in Park Ferme and the stewards wanted to have a look at that, that footage. Um, and I think the other element that complicated it is ordinarily... Um, when something is, a, you know, when there is a fault, when something has broken, you can investigate. Um, teams are allowed to uh, fix problems for retesting. For instance, if you had a bib and you clattered over the curbs and, and you snapped it, it, w- it won't pass the load deflection test. And it's not uncommon that, that uh, the FIA would have let a team change the broken parts, retest it, just to prove that in a, in a normal condition the, the part passes. Um, now, that was perhaps another factor that was that was bouncing uh, around in in the background. But you know, ultimately, the stewards ruled on it. We we need to get on with it, and there's not really much point in in dwelling because because once we got that ruling, we didn't really have a lot of a lot of comeback. So Lewis finishes the sprint in fifth with the five place penalty for the engine change. He starts the Grand Prix on Sunday in tenth. How confident were you guys that he could win this one from 10? We do a lot of simulations and... Can, I, th- can I interrupt? How many simulations do you do? Can you put a number on that? Uh, a million or so. Yeah, I mean, um, are you exa- is it literally a million? It, it's in the hundreds of thousands or, wow. or, or, or more. Um, I mean, prior to that, we, you know, we, we, we weren't um, particularly happy with the, um, the ruling on, on the rear wing, but... You know, you do have a question of do you, do we try and fight this? Do we you know do we decide that we're going to appeal it? Are we going to race under appeal? Um, but it was pretty evident from the runs that we'd seen on Friday, from where we'd been able to qualify, that we actually had a good car here, um, and that that we had a lot of opportunity to recover that. So it was a relatively short conversation. Not that, not that we had long to make to have that conversation, but a relatively short conversation. Um, where we decided just to get on with it and try and um, you know take the penalty and uh, see what we could do to to minimise the impact of it. Probably the thing that really set our um, hopes on you know having a minimum of podium, a, a, a win possible, was just the performance in the sprint race, because in that we saw that that Lewis could attack practically anyone out there we saw that we had a good pace advantage but as i said importantly we saw that we could sit behind a car we could we could do a good turn 12 we had good traction and those are the ingredients that you need to be able to overtake here now the only unknown was would that strong pace in the sprint race in the cool conditions around a 30 degree track on saturday um, carry into a 50 degree track on sunday um, and we were we were hopeful, but you you, you don't know um, whether that's going to be the case. So it was encouraging when we could um, you know when we saw that that we were still still strong come race day. So Shav, what does this mean going forward? It's a very short gap 
between now and of course the Qatar Grand Prix next weekend. Uh, how much confidence does this result give you? I, I mean, I think this, this result, the impact on the championship this weekend, the fact that we've got that penalty out of the way um, with, you know, and managed to outscore uh, Max, outscore, outscore Red Bull, um, gives us a lot of confidence. The fact that we've managed to get the car to work well on a track that's aggressive on the rear tyres in hot conditions gives us a lot of confidence. Um, and I think for us, you know, the championship coming out of Mexico, we had hope that we could win them both. I think now it's moving to belief that we can win them both. Um, and we'll be working very, very hard to, uh, to ensure that we can do that. Wow, I love that quote from Shove. A belief, after all, is half the battle, isn't it, in any sport? So the fact that Mercedes have got that back... Whew. That momentum word is popping up again. Yeah. <laughs> Has it sprung back in their favour? Who knows? Also, engineers are so objective about everything. It's a technical exercise. So when an engineer starts talking like that as well, it has almost double the impact. So Max Verstappen said after the race, I tried everything I could. I just wasn't quick enough. And actually, how complete a performance do you believe this was? From Max Verstappen, we've praised Lewis Hamilton, but Max was incredible on Sunday as well. I think Max was incredible all weekend. I think he got the maximum out of his car that just was inferior to the Mercedes. As Shove has just said, yes, we had the faster car this weekend. It's ebbing and flowing from weekend to weekend, but Max still did a great job. He was never going to give up the lead without a fight, but he was hugely consistent in his lap times and... The other thing about Max is that he said he enjoyed it. He said he enjoyed it. There was an intensity about him a couple of years ago when, you know, up until 2018, it was like he wanted it so much that he made lots of mistakes. Then halfway through that 2018 season, he changed his modus operandi, relaxed a lot more. And then he's just got better and better and better with every season that's come. And there's a maturity about him now that even when he loses a race like that, he knows he's done a good job. He said he enjoyed it. He was even able to crack a joke over the radio about the stewards when his race engineer came on and he said, oh, say hi to them from me. Um, and, you know, there was even respect in the press conference afterwards when, you know, the top three come in and I was asking some questions to Valtteri Bottas. And, and whilst Valtteri was answering, Lewis and Max having a little chat, I couldn't hear it. They were whispering, they were being polite so as not to... Um, interrupt the audio from Valtteri but there is still that mutual respect uh, they both enjoyed that fight and I thought Max was great and the fact that he's so cool even when he finishes second proves what a complete performer he is now there was no throwing the mm. toys out the window going oh my god you know just yeah, forget the pram they're going straight out the window yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think Are you Pax, absolutely you think? right I think he's such a mature I, 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 I think he's yeah he's a very different person and if and it's a big if he doesn't win the championship this year his time will absolutely come there's multiple championships coming his way I'm sure because he's just such a complete performer now as you say in a way that he hasn't been at the beginning of his career which goes to show how much experience matters and how much of that he has gained in recent years. And they kept it clean. <laughs> Just about. 
Here goes Lewis Hamilton. He was last at the start of the sprint. He's trying to take the lead from Verstappen, but he is forced wide by Verstappen, and Verstappen himself has to go off the track. I don't know your feelings on this, but the only thing I was left feeling was that it perhaps sets a bad precedent that the stewards didn't punish it. Oh, thank goodness they didn't. As Mario Andretti said on the pod a few weeks back, please let them fight it out on the track. That is my attitude, 100%. You know, we're not dealing with... But, 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 Tom, I, listen, had Max won, would you have still felt the same? I think now is the moment to play in a little clip from Lewis Hamilton. I'll take my guidance from him on this. In the heat of the moment, it doesn't... I, I don't really know. I think, we, I think I was ahead initially, and then uh, I think he held his ground, and then... We both ran out of road. Uh, well, I think he ran, was running out of road, so then I obviously had to, to avoid to go out of, out of road. But, I mean, I didn't think too, too much of it, and I, I'd obviously have to, to, to watch the replay. But, I mean, it's hard, it's hard battling and wouldn't, uh, wouldn't expect anything less, really. We didn't touch wheels, which was good. He hasn't got an issue with it because he won the race. <laughs> yes, but, but how gutted would you feel, Pinks? If the stewards, if that race had been decided in the stewards' room, like like no, like, no, no, Canada, I agree, I agree, like Canada, like Canada 2019, for example, with Vettel, yeah, yeah. I think if one of them, um, if they collide, of course the stewards need to take a look at that. But we're talking about two such great drivers. You know, I'm thinking Senna Prost Suzuka 1990. We don't want to get that, but we're just, that was just wheel to wheel racing going down to turn four. Both of them outbreak themselves. Max happened to be on the inside, on the dirty side of the track. So he did run a bit wide. But I don't think Lewis was going to make the corner himself. Hence, I don't think he was that angry about it afterwards. Mm. Um, just, you know, and then he, he just... Ch ch it was interesting how different his approach was uh, when he eventually did get past. Um, I think it was interesting uh, talking to um, a couple of ex-driver Rubens Barrichello was there uh, in Brazil in fact good old Rubens finished third in the Porsche support race still loves it still going round in circles and um, the fans still love him but the feeling being that perhaps Max was a little bit too defensive into turn one which compromised his exit of three going down to turn four which is why Lewis was able to get such a good run on him when he did eventually get past whereas um, you know, but it, it was kind of old, although it was a DRS pass, it was kind of old school racing where Lewis had to had to start planning the overtake many corners before. Great racing. Let's hope we get lots more of it. That's my take. Do you f still feel the same way now that you've heard Lewis Hamilton say he didn't have an issue with it? Well, I can hardly have an issue with it if Lewis Hamilton doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I'm just so grateful the way that these two are racing and conducting themselves and just delivering exceptional entertainments, you know, week in, week out that, um, yeah, no complaints here. And the thing was, when you were watching that race on Sunday, I forgot about so many other elements of that Grand Prix. I mean, if I said to you, Pinks, who finished fifth? I actually have to think quite hard because it was the focus was so much on the top two drivers, wasn't it? Oh, Charles Leclerc. There you go. I did have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about 
a couple of these other battles elsewhere because I thought it was a very significant weekend in the Ferrari-McLaren battle. You just feel that Ferrari are pulling away now. It was just a miserable weekend for McLaren. Um, Lando obviously got a great start and then clipped his old teammate tumbled down the order and actually had a great recovery drive to come back to salvage the single point. And Daniel Ricciardo had to retire his first time in 34 races. Mm. And it's meant that in fifth and sixth, because if you were scrambling around trying to remember who came sixth, it was Leclerc's teammate, Carlos Sainz. You just feel that Ferrari are pulling away now in that battle for third in a way that it may be... Um, insurmountable for the Woking bunch. Well, they've had two bad races now, haven't they? Mexico was poor. This one's been poor for them as well. I mean, Monza and Russia seem like a long time ago, don't they? Um, they really do. And the Ferraris really come on strong. They're looking, you know, ever since they introduced the new power unit, Ferrari, Ferrari has been the better car. It is the better car yeah, now. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, definitely a, turning, a significant turning point in their season. The, the upgraded power unit. And significantly, as we talk about power units, it was Daniel Ricardo's that failed, which led to his retirement. And you have to say, Tom, that that's got to be continuing to ring alarm bells in Mercedes' ears. You know, why did it happen? They've had to change a lot of power units this year. But the need to change Lewis's power unit this weekend was purely to get another one in the pool. They didn't have to change. It wasn't like it was about to fail. Yeah, Gazi's got Esteban Ocon on his sights. The two Frenchmen going to turn one together. They almost collide. And that, by the briefest of margins, was a lucky escape, I think, for both of them. Esteban Ocon's never scored a point here before. He has to yield and concede to Pierre Gasly into turn four. And he will drop down to ninth place with his teammate now, Fernando Alonso, under pressure from the Alpha Tauri. So Ocon and Alonso both tucked into the points and... A difficult day for Yuki Tsunoda. Ambitious move with Stroll meant that he tumbled down the order to 15th. What, what does chairman, again from Gasly. What does chairman and CEO of the Yuki Tsunoda fan club make of his performance this weekend? <laughs> oh, I still feel like... Well, I feel like he's had this upward trajectory in the last few races that's really kind of fed his confidence. Um, I felt it was unfair to publicly criticised him, you know, when Christian and uh, Helmut Marco said we'd been synoded in, in Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. I felt that that was, that was a bit cruel. That was a bit tough to publicly sort of humiliate him like that because we all know this is about confidence building in your rookie year. And I feel that Yuki's so honest. I love it when he talks in the pen because he was like, yeah, it probably wasn't on that move, but, you know, I went for it and lays himself bare. And he's, you know, that's very likeable that he does that. But this, I think, will have dent his confidence again, which is a shame. It's been great to see him improve. I hope that what you say isn't true and that Interlagos has dented his confidence. Uh, let's hope the upward trajectory continues. I mean, it's hard. At least, at least we're going to a new track for everybody in Qatar, whereas... yeah. Interlagos, Mexico, Austin, they were just new tracks to, to Yuki, whereas, of course, Pierre had been to those tracks before. Whereas it's new, new for everybody next weekend, so it's at least more of a level playing field for him.
Let's have a quick word on Alfa Romeo now, Tom, because it feels increasingly likely that this will be both drivers last season in Formula One. And I, for one, you know, I feel like Kimi Raikkonen has been there and done it all. But for me, Giovinazzi just hasn't quite fulfilled the promise that we thought he had. He probably still does have. I really like the guy. I feel he's a bit under the radar. When you get talking to him, and I've had the opportunity a couple of times on shoots, he's just a genuinely good guy with a lot of talent. He's had a bit of bad luck of late. And it's a shame, but it is a done deal that he's out and Guan Yu Zhou is in. Yeah, I mean, it, particularly in qualifying, he's been really strong this year. He's won that qualifying battle already against Kimi Raikkonen. Um, he's, had, as you say, had a lot of bad luck. You know, coming into Brazil, he'd had three consecutive 11th place finishes, you know, and I think he thinks, what have I got to do to get in the points? Um, but it is over. It is over for now, at least. This chapter is is closed. Um, Fred Vasseur, the, the team principal at Alpha, was saying over the weekend that he's actually come in for quite a lot of stick from the Italian media who think, uh, I think like us, that Antonio deserves another crack at Formula One. Um, and of course, we're now back to the situation where we don't have an Italian driver in Formula One. Of course, we've got the, the Italian team in Ferrari and Alfa Romeo sponsoring Sauber, but, and, and Alfa Tauri based in Faenza as well. So there's very much an Italian uh, influence in Formula One, but there hasn't, there's not going to be an Italian driver and that just feels wrong. But... Italy's loss is China's gain, and we will have Guan Yu Zhou in Formula One next year, which is very exciting for the global reach of our sport. How big is this news in China, do you think? And it's mad to think we don't have a Chinese Grand Prix next year. But uh, the possibilities with having a, a quick uh, Chinese driver in the sport, of which Guan Yu Zhou is, let's not forget, he's currently second in the Formula 2 Championship. He's won at Monaco. No one wins at Monaco in any formula, unless you're a good driver. I think it's a real pity that we're not going back uh, to China, but of course, uh, we have the pandemic to thank for that. But we will be there in 2023. And during the, the run-up uh, to this recent series of races, it's been confirmed that we will have a Chinese Grand Prix until 2025. That's That contract has been extended. So, Guan Yu... Your moment will come in Shanghai. Uh, you're going to just have to wait a little bit longer, but good on you. Good luck. So it's Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu Zhou at Alfa Romeo. So TC, Qatar up next, followed by Jeddah and Abu Dhabi. It feels as if we're going into Merck territory, but obviously got no historical data from the next two tracks so we don't know which is thrilling exciting i know that you have spoken to a man who has driven them on the sim knows them quite well what did alex albon have to say officially the test and reserve driver for red bull racing i like to call him friend of the show friend of the show thank you very much <laughs> i've got too much time on my hands this year so i've been making appearances out of just boredom <laughs> Not that I love to be here, of course. Yes. And, and Williams race driver as well, of course, for 2022. But let's talk Qatar, if we could. A brand new racetrack for Formula One coming up next weekend. 
I'm assuming you've done many laps on the simulator, and can you talk to us about it? Yes, yeah, I've done a few laps around there. I did some laps before Max drove it, and then Max drove it afterwards and said it's rubbish, <laughs> the track model. So um, I have a fairly good understanding, but clearly maybe I was driving on a track which wasn't very well done. Um, so I don't know anymore. But yes, it, it's a really interesting track. It's much quicker than um, the normal tracks we go to. Most gears are, most corners are in fourth or fifth gear, which is pretty quick. And um, I think it's going to be one of them high deg races, which we haven't had in a while. Uh, and I'm excited for it. Does it remind you of any other racetrack? We, I mean, Mugello? Have I heard people compare yeah, it to Mugello? Mugello in a way, in terms of corner speeds, yes. But in terms of layout, it's pretty unique in its own way because it really is a, it's a motorbike track um, in that sense where I think on a, on a bike it would be much slower the track but it's so wide, so open there's so many different lines you can do it's got its quite special way to drive it and actually most of the time even on the sim you're a little bit like where am I? because it, it, it's so flat you can't see any of the corners really you're relying on poles on the track to know where the apexes are and um, and there's just a lot of these corners where you go you know you go into a corner and then it compromises the next corner and it's all about do I prepare this one and focus on this one there's a lot of this kind of dancing around and figuring out that's the right really line. interesting is it is it going to be quite difficult to learn it will be um, yeah it, it took me it took me about half a day to learn it I actually said to the guys if there's two tracks that the guys need to spend time on on the sim this year it's not that they're new it's just that they're so tricky uh qatar and um and Jeddah. these two tracks together they are so so tricky to learn because they're they're not your normal corners they're all slightly off natural in the way that they're just either too long too short and it just makes the rhythm quite awkward where a track like brazil you can learn it within within 20 laps, whereas here it's, it, it, it's going to be really tricky. That's really interesting. So what, you, you think you will need all of the practices to dial both the driver and the Definitely, car in? 100%, yeah. Now look, what about um, overtaking? What do you think? Mm, I do worry about it in some respects because it's high speed and we don't like following in, in F1 cars in high speed. The straights are long enough though and I think the degradation is going to be high enough that overtaking is going to happen because of the pace on tyres. So, um, yeah, it will be tricky, but there are, there's, it's, it's kind of, it opens itself up because as I just talked about, about all the different lines, you can do different lines, not maybe not the, your ideal line, but you can get away with doing different lines to stay away from the dirty air. I mean, I think, I don't know if you watched Lewis in the sprint race, but that, that was a typical example of a driver looking for the clean lines to to stay in clean air and, and keep the tyres cool, but also able to stay so close. That's kind of a trick. It's kind of what you need to do in a track like, like, like Qatar. Interesting. Now, because it's a bike track, as you say, are track limits going to be an issue? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's You're making tricky. me nervous. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, we'll see how they do it. I think um, it depends on how they lay the track limits. They have the margin to be really aggressive because it's sand everywhere. So if you could bring the sand very close to the curbs, you're not going to run wide. But as you said, bike tracks tend to have extra runoff um, naturally for, for, for bike safety. So it worries me. 
hopefully it won't be a talking point over the weekend. Final one from me then. Who will it favour, Red Bull or Mercedes? What's your gut feeling? High, high deg. We tend to be quite good on hot tracks. Also, we tend to be a little bit stronger so far on medium and high-speed corners. And that leads ourselves to Qatar. But I don't want to talk too soon because it's also quite yeah. a uh, high-speed track. So um, straight line speed is going to be important. OK, so Alex feels that Red Bull could fare pretty well there, but still sitting on the fence to a certain extent, which, again, I love because... We're not really any the wiser, are we? We just have to go there and find out. Right, and Pinks, on the evidence of the Mercedes performance in Brazil, I think he's right to sit on the fence. <laughs> what looks on paper to be a Red Bull track with those medium and high-speed corners, I don't think you can predict anything now. I mean, it's when you look at a track map of the Los Ailes circuit, you know, it's 16 corners, but none of them are slow. I mean, it it's very flat, as Alex says, Um Corner speed similar to Mugello. And you just need a really good rhythm. I thought it was fascinating that he said, no, it is going to take the drivers a little bit of time to learn. He said, Interlagos, that one's easy. That's an easy track to learn. This is hard. And you've got very few visual prompts because it's so flat. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it. I, I Very hard to predict. I'm quite pleased that there isn't a sprint this weekend. Um, I feel that's another layer of madness that we don't need as the teams are just trying to get their heads around this new racetrack. But, um, and it's a nice. I mean, race. Look, I know these drivers and the big bucks, but I feel they thoroughly deserve those pay packages this season. They have been tested in every which way imaginable, up and down the grid. It's had everything. It's kept everyone on their toes. And again, as you say, we're about to go to three more destinations, which is going to keep that trend up. I think we could end up... Hey, I'm going to say, I think we could end up with Lewis and Max on the front row. And that's that's what we want now, isn't it? Well, it is the battle that we all want. You are right. And who better to give us a bit more on both our protagonists than Brazil's hero, Felipe Massa. Lewis did the uh, fantastic championships last year, the year before... Uh, before you know so he he won seven times i think uh, i would say maybe in the last four years lewis is a, li a, a lot uh, mature experience and uh, he still have the the amazing speed like he had his whole career so i think he's the top of the he's in the top condition you know because he's still like uh, he, 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 did, he didn't lose any speed but he's more experienced. So what he showed also in the last years is the same thing. So still on the the top uh, moment of uh, of of his uh, career. And what about Max? Um, do you feel he's evolved and come on as a driver a lot in the last few years? I think so. Yeah. In what areas? I think maybe in his first two three years he was very inconsistent, really really quick all the time. You know, doing amazing race, but also doing some uh, stupid mistakes. Uh, like, uh, you know, closing the car on breaking point, like, you know, s stupid things that it was just uh, causing him, you know, this impression that, I mean, he's not mature. But maybe after his, the second part of the season, his last year with uh, Daniel in Red Bull, he just changed a little bit his uh, uh, maturity. I don't know if this is the right word. So, and he started to make a lot, of, a lot less mistakes. He started to respect a lot more the rules. 
I mean, even after the year after when he didn't have really a big competition in terms of uh, teammates, you know, inside the team, I think he grew massively. So today, I think he's really uh, mature, quick, doing amazing job, also no mistakes, so he's ready to win. Always good to hear from Felipe Massa. And he's moved back to Brazil now. He left Monaco four months ago. He's opened a restaurant. And uh, by the way, where he took Charles and Daniel the other night, two of his sort of closest friends in the sport. And he's racing stock cars and he's just immersing himself back in home life. And he's probably missed that. I mean, he's had years away from home and lovely to hear because he is a homeboy, isn't he? He's a real family man, and it's good to, that he's enjoying so, all that again. You say he's a family man. Interesting. I actually talked to him about um, moving back to Brazil, and he said what's really interesting is his son, Felipe Jr., isn't missing Europe at all. He's He's gone straight into the local school, is loving being in Brazil, and that's his gauge as a parent as to whether it was the right move or the wrong move. And. The same for all of us. If you've got happy kids, you're a happy person and a happy parent. And I have to say that he came with him to all of his races, which I always thought was lovely that the family stayed together. But I did always think, oh, poor kid is, you know, he's not with other kids mm -hmm. and kids love to be around other kids. And so, um, yeah, the most important thing in life is uh, looking after your family. And that's exactly what Felipe is doing. Yeah. So, TC, what are you doing now? Are you flying straight to Qatar? Well, I'm not coming home in between. No, are you? not coming home in between. I'm speaking to you from my hotel room in Sao Paulo. Um, I, I think I'm the only person in, involved in Formula One who is still in Sao Paulo. Uh, everyone seemed to be flying uh, on Sunday night. The first flights to Qatar. Most people going straight to Qatar. Uh, left at about eight o'clock on Sunday night. I'm not leaving till Monday night. Uh, and then I've got the joys of 15 hours in the air. Oh, lovely sleep. Well, any I was going to say any suggestions as to what I can watch, but I think lovely sleep is probably top of the list. I haven't heard of that movie, but I'll look for it. Um, and uh, yeah, and then arrive, um, I think about midnight, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and then get straight into it again, Pinks. Good stuff. Well, look, I can't wait to see you in Saudi. Not long to go. Can't wait to until see you. I will join you in the paddock. I know. And the great thing is this championship battle will definitely still be alive then, Pinks. So yes. you can come and join and get in. The excitement levels. Are... Do you know, after the race uh, on Sunday, I was wired. I suddenly I realised I got into bed and thought I, I didn't want to sleep. I was just sort of reliving the, the race and the atmosphere. And, you know, Lewis... Actually, final point on Brazil. Um, the Brazilian fans love Lewis. Oh, my goodness, they do. Just being on the grid, uh, you know, the, the cars stop at the back of the grid. The mechanics then push them to their grid positions. And Lewis comes through. The whole place goes mad. You know, they completely love him here. And actually, there is even graffiti near the track where uh, there's a... Look, there's a there's a some graffiti of Lewis sat down on a chair, but then he's holding Senna's helmet. They know how much he loves Ayrton Senna. Yeah, yeah, and and the lack of a Brazilian driver on the grid as well, I think, yeah, helps. But and then him standing on the podium with the Brazilian flag as well. Absolutely. So it's been it was an incredible atmosphere, but my goodness, we go again this weekend. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One in association with Audio Boom Studios.